Ruth chapter 1. I want to read this morning verses 11 through 13 and verses 19 through 21. Ruth 1, 11 through 13 and verses 19 through 21. Verse 11, But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters, go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Then down verse 19. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for once again the opportunity to look at your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, remind us of those things that we need reminded of. Lord, teach us the things that we need taught this morning through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you'd give us the ability to, to apply these things, Lord, and to honestly evaluate our own lives, Lord, to see if there might be bitterness in our own hearts. And Lord of God, I pray that you'd help us to deal with that this morning, to get a picture of what it does in the heart of a person who harbors it. And I ask God that you would uh, work in our hearts in a way that would be obvious that you're doing it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Naomi implored Orpah and Ruth to return to their home, she confessed her bitterness. In fact, she acknowledged that she was much too bitter to even share her life. Again, as she entered Bethlehem, she entreats her old friends not to call her by name, but to rather call her Marish as she was extremely bitter. And furthermore, she blames God for her bitterness. The problem, in a nutshell, is that she made the mistake of focusing on her problems rather than on the provider. The sin of bitterness is both vicious and penetrating. Um, Dr. Marty Vaughn, my counseling professor from Bible College, made the statement, Bitterness often sets into the soul of man when one of two things takes place. Either you had something that God allowed to be taken away, or you wanted something and God said no. And these two scenarios take place very, very often in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We either had something that God allowed to be taken away, or we wanted something and God has said no. We find out in the culture that we live in that it is all about us. What we want, what brings us pleasure, what makes us happy. And when our expectations are unfulfilled, we get very upset about it, don't we? We want our way. That's our nature. But the sin of bitterness, as we said, is both vicious and penetrating. If we don't deal with it, it affects other people around us. So we have a perception that God has taken away. And sometimes it's focused on a loved one. 
Somebody that I love dearly, somebody that I really cared for has died. God, why did you allow this to happen? Why has this entered into my life? It's not fair. And bitterness sometimes will set in. Or I had a good health, but now I'm stuck with cancer. Now I've got this illness. Now I've got this disease, and I don't like it. And God, why did you allow this? I had good health, but now I don't, and I'm going to allow bitterness to creep in. Or I had this nice home, and, and a fire came and destroyed it, or a flood came up and destroyed it. Or I had this circumstance where we were really comfortable here, but now we can't stay here, and now I'm upset about it. Or I had a good job. I used to make good well. I had good benefits. I had a nice insurance package. I had good you know, addition to our retirement fund. But now it's gone. So I have this perception that I had something, and God took it away from me for whatever reason. And bitterness will oftentimes set in. Or we perceive that God has said no to a better car. I'm trying to get this car, but my credit ain't such, or I don't have the cash to do this, or whatever. And I'm upset because I'm praying about it, and God's not giving it to me, so I'm upset about it. Or I wanted that nicer home, or bigger home, or bigger salary, and you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. But we have this perception that God is taking things away from us, or He's not letting us have what we want. So oftentimes in those kinds of scenarios, bitterness sets into the souls of men. But here's what we need to realize this morning. As we kind of get off the story for just a moment, we realize that Naomi is bitter. And she says, my life is much too bitter for me to share it with anybody. She acknowledges that she's very bitter. Nowhere does she acknowledge repentance for that, for that kind of an attitude. But she acknowledges that it's much too bitter to share. And not only that, as we see as she's coming into Bethlehem, she blames God for her bitterness. So if God is sovereign and our life belongs to Him, He can do anything He wants to do with us, and we don't have the right to be bitter, to let bitterness control our life. Is that true? If God is sovereign, if God doesn't make any mistakes, and if we were to ask everyone individually that question here this morning, does God make any mistakes, I'm certain that every one of us would probably say, absolutely not, God is perfect, He doesn't make any mistakes. Then why is it that we get upset and bitter when we don't get our way? Because in this scenario, God has said, no, and I don't like it, and I'm going to be upset about it. And it's amazing that in the Greek language, bitterness and anger go hand in hand. They are two peas in a pod. You will very rarely find someone who is bitter who is not also angry. Or now of times you won't find someone who is angry who is not also bitter towards God because of the circumstances. But God is sovereign. He has the right to do with our lives whatever He chooses. And we forget that He has a purpose and a reason behind what He allows into our lives. So if God is saying no to that nicer home, or bigger salary, or better conditions for our life, He's got a reason for it. Do we trust Him? At the very root of bitterness, get this, is selfishness. At the very root of bitterness is selfishness. It shouts out that this life is about me and what makes me happy. Think about it. Why do we get upset when things don't go our way? Because we're selfish. We want what we want, when we want it, as often as we want it, for as long as we want it. Because this is America. We have that right. We say, well, that's not how I live my life. Well, it really is. Try to live your life in another country. It doesn't work. We are blessed here. But because of God's blessing to our country, 
And by giving us a job and giving us a vehicle and giving us a home and giving us a family and giving us health, we come to expect that for the rest of our lives. And when it's not there, we get upset about it. Why? Because at the root of bitterness is selfishness. I'm selfish. Guys, you don't think you're selfish? Talk to your wives in detail. We're selfish. That's the way we live life. We try not to be. My goodness, I admit, I'm selfish. We all are. It's the polar opposite of godliness. I want you to take your Bibles just for a moment and turn. And we're going to be jumping around just a little bit this morning. Um, If you don't want to keep up, you can uh, follow along. But Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine this just for a moment? Think about this. If I give you some money, I want the Holy Spirit's power so that I can lay my hands on it and they can do what I want them to do and have what I want them to have. I can just buy this. Wow. Verse 20. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you. Why? Because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by, what's the word? Bitterness and bound by iniquity. Man, to think for just for a moment that I could buy the power of God with a little bit of money. And he says, no, you're driven by bitterness. You want what other people have. And that's not for you to have. Bitterness often seeps into a person's life following a time of trial and testing. In fact, turn to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right there at the beginning. Exodus chapter 15. This is a familiar passage, but coming from this word, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days into the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, But they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it is named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, What are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statue and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. You'll notice oftentimes that bitterness sets in during a time of trial and testing. We see that was the case. I mean, think about it just for a moment. The children of Israel were in a difficult position, were they not? Remember, Jesus or God said to them, He said, I have heard your uh, screams and your cries and your, and your murmuring by reason of your taskmasters. I mean, they had taskmasters that were whipping them. They were making them work long hours. They were making them work in the hot heat. Uh, they were treated very poorly. And they hated it. And they griped and they complained. And God said, I've heard your cries. So he brings them out of that place. But God always knows what he's doing, doesn't he? 
Every time God takes you out of some place, He knows where He's bringing you. You may not know it, but God knows where He's bringing you. But the children of Israel could not see it. And so they get to this place, and they come to the Red Sea, and the bottom line is this. Oh no, we're facing the water, now where do we go? They couldn't see that God was in control every step of the way. And so they began to gripe and to complain and to murmur. We've been traveling three days, there's no water. Difficulties will also lead us to a place of decision. But the difficulties also reveal our true character and our heart, do they not? When we go through times of trial and testing, it will reveal where our heart is. It will reveal our true character. And we find that as they come to Mara, it says that they grumbled and they complained because they hadn't had the water that they wanted. They wanted something, and they didn't get it when they wanted it, so they griped and they complained. So, you'll notice that adversity handled incorrectly not only can cause bitterness, but it affects those around you. Um, Notice in Genesis chapter 27, go back a few pages. Genesis chapter 27. I want to look at verse 30 and through 41. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from the hunt. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. Then he said to his father, Let my father get up and eat some of his son's game, so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said? Who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all all it before you came in, and I blessed him indeed, and he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he replied, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing." So he said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me twice now? He took my birthright, and look, now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, Look, I have made him a master over you, have given him all his relatives and his servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for my son, for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. Then his father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Look at verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You see, when bitterness sets in, I wanted something, and I couldn't have it. My expectation is that it's mine. It belongs to me. I deserve it. And maybe even rightfully and sincerely so. But he allowed the anger and the bitterness, as we'll find out later even, as it's recounted again in another part of the Word of God, is that he allowed that bitterness to control his life. And he said, I won't do it when my father's alive, but my days, father's days are numbered, and then I will kill him. Bitterness affects those around you. When we live in bitterness, those around you are affected. 
Notice David's troops were also bit, very bitter. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it's an amazing story as you follow this all through that David really, quite honestly, in this picture of the story, was one who had a right character during adversity. There were different people there who wanted him to go ahead and kill Saul and kill his troops and take vengeance on behalf of David. And David wouldn't let him do it. David had heir to, was heir to the throne. He had right to become the king. But God's timing was not yet. But as we come back to chapter 30, he'd gone through this difficult time of, of, of trial and adversity. He's living in caves and nooks and crannies. And he's trying to even follow along with the, the Philistine armies. And the, and, and the guards notice that he's back there and say, you can't stay with us. And finally, David has nowhere else to go, so he goes home. And look at chapter 30, verse 1. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked the, and burned down Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the oldest. They killed no one but had carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned down. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. Verse 4, David and his troops... Um, David and his troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in a difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. You say, well, did they deserve that? No. I mean, what was wrong with wanting to go back to their families? Nothing. But the bottom line is here is this expectation again. I'm going to go back. I'm going to find my family here. But I'm disappointed because they're not here. And they allowed bitterness to seep in. And when the bitterness seeped in, then what they want to do? David, this is your fault. Once again, what is our human nature? Because we are selfish. When we don't get what we want, when things don't go as we plan, as, as we realize that our expectations are not going to be fulfilled, what is our nature? We want to blame something or someone rather than saying God's in control. Think about this. All these circumstances that we read about where people become bitter, it was, a sin, it was no different than what Naomi was facing. They had left the land of Judah to go to a very wicked place. Why? Because my needs aren't being met. I don't like my circumstances, so I'm going to try to fix them myself and leave. My expectation is I will have everything I need right here where I live, but it hasn't happened, so I'm upset about it. Either God's in control or He's not. And at the root of this bitterness is selfishness. It's all about me. But it wasn't just with Esau. It wasn't just with David's troops. Notice in, each, in Ephesians chapter 4. In the New Testament, the exhortation that we read here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 31. It says, And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about that just alone. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So that it gives grace... I'm sorry, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. So he says, verse 31, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. You notice what we said here? 
Oftentimes, bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and screaming all work hand in hand together. And it stems from the heart. (coughs) So Paul's exhortation is, this has got to go. This can't be part of your life. Bitterness is rooted in selfishness. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see four things about bitterness here. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no one, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal, for you know that later... When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Isn't it amazing that he brings up Esau again as an example of someone who was bitter and allowed his bitterness to affect those around him? I want you to see four things. First of all, bitterness does not take into account God's bountiful grace. When we allow bitterness in our life, it does not take into account God's bountiful grace. He says it right away, verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Don't fall short of the grace of God. Listen, in my worst circumstance, when my greatest expectation is unfulfilled, when I don't like it that God has allowed something in my life to be taken from me, when I don't like that God has said no to something that I really believe is good for me and I want it and I desire it and He has said no... In my worst circumstance, we are still filled with the grace of God. If we got what we deserved, we'd all be spending eternity in, in a lake of fire and hell for all, for all of our, for anything that we can conceive as far as the ending of time. If we got what we deserved, God's grace is sufficient. You remember when, when Paul said. You know, it, it, Satan came to buffet me, you know, and, and they had this thorn in the flesh, and he says, God, three times, remove it. And God said what? No. But that my grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter what we're going through. God may say, I want you to go through it. This is not a mistake in your life. And I haven't allowed a mistake to, because you think it is. The bottom line is, it is for a reason. It's for a purpose. And you may not understand it. You may not appreciate it. But it's for your good. But my grace is sufficient. I'm not taking it away. Doesn't that just chap us sometimes? That we have circumstances where we say, God, please take it away. And God is saying, no. No. I'm not taking it away. It's for your good. We don't like that, do we? But He says, your grace or my grace is sufficient for you. So first of all, bitterness does not take into account God's bountiful grace. Number two, bitterness causes trouble. He says that again in verse 15. Make sure that no one falls of the grace, short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up causing trouble. Bitterness causes trouble. Because we get angry. And when we get angry, it affects those around us because I didn't get my way. Causes trouble. 
And you know, it's an amazing thing, at least in my life, when I don't get my way and I get mad about it, <laughs> all it does is make everyone else around me mad at me because I don't have a good attitude. Hey, I don't have nothing from the peanut gallery here. Bitterness causes trouble. Number three, bitterness defiles. It says, causing trouble and by it defiling many. Bitterness defiles many. The word defile there is actually an interesting word. It literally means to leave a stain, to leave a mark on. You know, I was trying to think, what kind of a mark would bitterness leave? What kind of stain would be left? One of the things that came to my mind, I'm not sure if this is exactly what it's intending to say, but all of us will have some type of reputation when we leave this earth. And I had a friend years ago that said, if you have a reputation, it's for one reason, you've earned it. So when your name is mentioned in a crowd, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? Hot-tempered, liar, thief, honest. What is the reputation? I have to imagine just for a moment that when we are a very bitter people, the stain that is left is a, is a ruined testimony and a reputation of sinfulness. Maybe I'm wrong. But there aren't too many things that leave a stain when it comes to our character and our attitude that are not immoral, that are not ungodly, that are not unrighteous. And I wonder sometimes if the defile part of bitterness is not a stain of ungodliness and unrighteousness that characterizes some of our lives. But it says bitterness defiles. That literally means to leave a mark, leaves a stain. And then number four, bitterness will cause you to act ungodly and unrighteously. How do I know that? Verse 17, verse 16 and 17 says, and sold his birthright in exchange for one meal, for you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He was unrighteous. He was ungodly. He allowed the bitterness to take root into his life and to grow and to fester and to cause a, a rift with those around him. So bitterness does not take into account God's bountiful grace. Bitterness causes trouble. Bitterness defiles. And bitterness will cause you to act ungodly and unrighteously. In Esau's case, he sought to murder his brother because he was bitter and he didn't deal with it. So how does one overcome bitterness? Let me just give you some key words. Ephesians 4.31 says, Anger and malice and bitterness should be removed from us. You say, well, I don't have the ability to remove myself. Yes, you do. It's a choice. I will either allow God to work through the circumstance and respond correctly, or I'm going to harbor it. It's my choice. I may not have a choice as to what things are allowed into my life, but I do have a choice as to how I respond to them. That is my choice. So in Ephesians 4.32, it says to remove it. Don't let it become part of who you are. Don't let it... Don't let it control you. So we read verses 30 and 31. Look at verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has also forgiven you. You know, get rid of it. And then let your life characterize that of forgiveness. 
rather than being upset or bitter towards whoever or whatever has let you down. 1 John 1, nine, Confess your sin of bitterness to God and accept His forgiveness. God's Word is very clear. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're bitter, you need to confess it before God and accept His forgiveness. Then there's two more verses that we may not like to look at. Let me just remind you of them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, both of them say the same thing. Learn to give thanks through every circumstance. Seriously? Do I have to? Yes. If you want to have a biblical mindset, if you want to have a right attitude, learn to give thanks through the difficulty, through the trial. Does that mean that Naomi should have been thankful? Yes, it really does, even though we don't like it. Does I have to be thankful when my car breaks down? Yes, even though I don't like it, I should be thankful. I don't know what God is sparing me from. I don't know what He's trying to do. But I'm to be thankful in every circumstance. Well, I got sick today. I have to be thankful about it? Yes, God says to be thankful in every circumstance. So, Pastor, are you? Not always. But I'm trying. Because it's what God has asked us to do and to be. And then he goes on a little step further in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Rejoice? Seriously? Rejoice? Yes, rejoice. Well, I don't feel good. Rejoice anyway. Well, I don't have enough cash flow. Rejoice anyway. Well, my house isn't big enough. Rejoice anyway. God has called us to be people who rejoice. And we can learn to find a reason to rejoice or if we're looking for it, we can find a, a reason to not rejoice. And we can always justify our attitudes, can't we? I'm good at it. Maybe you are too, but I can justify, rationalize, excuse, fill in the blank. I'm good at it. For lots of years of experience. If someone ticks me off, I have a reason and a right to be angry. The circumstance, yeah, it ticks me off and here's why. I'm good at justifying it. Maybe you are too. But what God would rather have us to do is to be thankful for the circumstance and to rejoice through it. How will you respond? But James gives us even a further perspective on this. You've heard it before, but I want to remind you of it. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it great joy, my brethren, whenever you experience various trials. Ah, yeah, yeah. So I'm have to be thankful through them. I'm supposed to rejoice always, and now I'm consider a great joy that I'm going through this. Mm-hmm. It says, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must be do its complete work, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. These trials, these circumstances that God allows, help us grow and mature in our walk and our relationship with God. So it really is a choice that we have to make to do it right. Turn over to Psalm chapter 121. Somewhere near the middle of your Bible, Psalm 121. Let me read just a few verses here. There's only eight here. It says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. Think about that for a moment. God does not sleep. And He's not going to allow your foot to slip. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, it's not a mistake and God hasn't left you. Verse 5, the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. Is God still there? Yes, He is. So I can be bitter about the circumstance. There's not enough food here. There's not enough you know, income here, so we're going to have to go over here. And No, God says, wait a minute. I'm right by your side. But if your mind is on and your focus is on the problem rather than the provider, you're not going to see me. Where's our focus? Where is it that we're gazing? Psalm 145, just over a few pages. 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to everyone, and His compassion rests on all He has made. We serve a compassionate God. Think about that. He's gracious. He's compassionate. Slow to anger. Great and faithful love. His compassion rests on all... Or He's good to everyone. His compassion rests on all He's made. Verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and gracious in all His acts. You mean God hasn't made a mistake? Nope. According to that verse, think about that. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, even in what you may perceive as a mistake or a trial that is not fair or right. Gracious in all His acts. He hasn't made a mistake yet. And He's not going to start with you. And he didn't scratch his head this morning as we say often say, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. He's well aware of every circumstance that enters your life. And one last passage I want to just bring your attention to is Philippians chapter 2. In verse 13. Verse 14 says, or 13 says this, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out His good purpose. God has a reason for what you're facing. So consider Naomi's attitude just for a moment back in the book of Ruth chapter 1. She has this difficult circumstance. Nobody's going to deny the fact that it was probably very, very difficult back in Judah. But her mistake was that they left their trust of God to find their needs to be met in a wicked, unrighteous land rather than looking to the provider, they looked at the problem. And now bitterness has crept in. It's robbing them of their joy, robbing her of her joy. I don't doubt for a moment that Naomi had a walk with God. Obviously, Ruth saw something in her life that really spurred her to want the God of Naomi. And we'll talk about that next week. But for whatever reason, the circumstance was too big for Naomi at the moment. And in her, maybe it was the fact that she lost her husband, her sons, but whatever the circumstances, she's allowed bitterness to creep into her life. Bitterness can creep into anyone's life who's not focused on God. And the attitude that she had was like, I'm too bitter to share my life with anybody. 
She acknowledged that. In fact, all the, time, the whole time she's traveling back, I'm sure it was probably a quiet journey back to Bethlehem. But as they come into the corridors of Bethlehem, everyone's excited because Naomi has returned. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I am bitter. God has done this to me. See, I can either say God has done it to me or I can say God is stretching me. He's teaching me. He's molding me. He's maturing me. He's working some areas in my life that need to grow. I'm sure it was difficult. And we don't like difficult circumstances, do we? Does anyone pray for those? God, give me a difficult day today, please. Say, that's ludicrous. Right. Nobody asked for those things. But it's the very things that God allows because He is sovereign to teach us, to mold us, to mature us, to make us who He wants us to be. Remember, that's a Romans 8.29. Do I trust Him enough to know what He's doing in my life? See, we can either accept it as from being from God or we get angry, upset, and all bitterness to destroy our lives. In any number of circumstances, can be the catalyst that brings us to a place of bitterness. Situations in our life, illnesses, family situations, marriages dissolving, fill in the blank. Any number of circumstances can get us out of focus and distracted on those situations rather than what God's trying to do in and through them. We need to make up our minds. I'm going to stay focused on God. I'm going to trust his leadership. I'm going to submit to his authority. There's one. Submitting to God's authority rather than trying to take control ourselves, that's another whole subject. But how will you respond? How are you responding? Hopefully we learn. God doesn't want bitterness to be part of our life. Let's pray.